Hi, and welcome to Zed Games. Recorded live at 4ZZZ Studios in Brisbane and broadcast nationally over the community radio network, Zed Games brings you the latest gaming news, reviews, and interviews from across Australia and around the world. You are listening to Zed Games. Uh, produced live at 4ZZZ Studios. You might be listening to us on the Community Radio Network on 102.1 FM in Brisbane or on Zed Digital, depending on where you are. You could be in, you could be anywhere or online. I guess we're online as well. My name is Jack and I'm introducing the show as Scatterbrained as always, Ray. But it gives me great pleasure to introduce our in-studio guests, mm. Lincoln Savage and Finn Wegner of the Australian Virtual Reality Film Festival, which is running at the Brisbane Powerhouse from the 21st to the 26th of August. Guys, welcome to the show. How you doing, guys? Thank you for having us. Lincoln is the director and founder of the festival, and Finn is assistant director? Slash ambience manager. Ambience manager. <laughs> what does I that like mean? That what does that mean? <laughs> oh, it, it's, it's a bit of a joke that we have on the team. Um, last year, I found that the... We had lines forming mm. for the VR stations, and I found that if we played some very smooth ambient Brian Eno, some of the ambient works, it made the atmosphere a lot more relaxed. So I'm making sure to repeat that work this year. Ambience manager, I love it. Fantastic. <laughs> Could you run me through when the festival started and how you got the idea to make it? Yes, yeah, so this is the second year this year. Uh, we started last year for the first time. Um, the idea came about because I was working um, in, a, in a VR space for a little while. I produced 24 music videos in VR for Brisbane City Council. They're all local bands, Brisbane bands. Um, and then doing that that work kind of, um, you know, piqued my interest in what was possible. So I started researching works around the world. And because the tech is still quite new, people are really experimenting with it. Uh, and so we just, you know, got a program together with the curatorial panel, Powerhouse and Screen Queensland gave us some support. And we went ahead with it, sold it out, and so we're back again this year. How is the festival run? I'm, I'm curious as to what happens when you arrive. Like, in a traditional film festival, you have a cinema with a bunch of seats and everyone sits down and enjoys the film together. But virtual reality is a much more kind of isolated, personal experience. Do you have a whole bunch of headsets and everyone watches at the same time? Or is or how do you manage that? It's actually quite dystopian. And and I, we play on that. And that's part mm. of, you know, the, the ambient side of things is is you know in a typical film festival or, or a film setting you you sit down in a shared space and you watch the screen together in the situation with the vr you have to put on a, a helmet of forms and you isolate yourself from the rest of the world what that does is um amplify the experience so it becomes very immersive which means the filmmakers can have more power over storytelling and um we kind of set set a theater up in a way that is very sci-fi dystopian sci-fi so we dim the lights right down we pump it full of haze and we put down lights on each of the stations and so you get a ticket for the event and you can move through the space watching a film on each different booth and so the ticket entitles you to see all of them and just work through each of those booths to see uh, the films i yeah. see would underground be like an appropriate word to sort of the the picture that you're painting there seems very um i don't know like very abstract, I think, is the best way to do it. Definitely. Is that kind of how you describe it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like the, we're, we're working in a, you know, people are, are telling stories using cutting-edge technology that's never been done before. Mm. And so we're kind of creating a bit of a fourth wall. So when they enter the space, already they're a bit off-put. They're like, oh, yeah. this is weird. And you walk through and it's, it, it's kind of uh, 
intimidating in a way for people who have never used VR particularly mm. they'll walk through this dark space and they'll just see these people cut off from the world like mm. they're in some kind of like <laughs> you know uh, coma of a form experiencing mm. a work one interesting thing that we found last year was people were entering the room and were always at least a little bit confused at exactly what was happening and perhaps as they were waiting for someone to wrap up for a film they were a little bit kind of uncomfortable going like you know what's happening and then the moment that someone take like sits down watches a film and takes their headset off everything clicks because you you once you stick it on you're not in that room anymore you're anywhere else we've uh talked about a lot of vr games here on the program and they usually fall into a few different sorts of experiences you have the the first person experience that puts you in the head and eyes of the protagonist or you have a sort of more uh, removed third person experience where you're a floating camera uh is there a, a varied set of films that you have with the um film festival or is it is it more largely the the first person stuff um we like to try and use the festival to showcase varied different ways of using the technology <clears throat> so we have some animated works which allow for room scale so you can move around the characters and look from different directions just like in a game and then we have some works that are that are film traditional film and when you film in vr the camera unit was like a ball of cameras all facing outwards um you can't you know you can't create depth with that so the the position of the viewer is locked to where that camera position is in the real world mm. so there's sort of two differences room scale and seated basically which is similar to gaming as well um but i don't want to give too much away in, in terms of how they've how these different um, filmmakers have, have used the technology to create the experience. But there's some, you know, concepts I've never heard of or seen before until seeing these films. Mm. And that's that's where we're at now. Every year, there's new works that are just coming up with completely different ways using the technology no one's ever thought of before. So that's what I think is quite exciting is that, you know, this is new ground and there's so much to be discovered on how you can, you know, tell a story or an experience. What kind of films do you feel are the most powerful Utilizing the VR technology. Look, there's there's one last year we did called um, I forget now. Um, it was a it was an Oculus story work, and it will come to me. Um, and it was a, it was a story about someone's experience of death in the family, someone close to them, and they talked through that whole that whole you know process. And the way the story was done, the animation was done, it was incredibly moving. And we had a number of people that that were emotionally overwhelmed afterwards mm. when they take their heads off they're you know they're crying they've had quite an experience from it um and that's the nature of it you know it's kind of like you, you you're fully focused in that space and you, mm. f- you feel more than you do when you're in the in a cinema you know sharing it with people mm. yeah um, and lincoln from your perspective coming from doing like you said you've done a, a bunch of like vr music videos mm. um how does that sort of compare to people trying to create film or, or like more narrative focused projects in vr like are there some sort of um differences that make it a little bit uh challenging to try to try and communicate with these creators is there something that you that like some things that you can um line up on and, and kind of get the point across like how mm. has that been there's, there's a lot of great work at the moment on, on you know documenting this and, and studying on how you create you know how you create a story how you film it basically and work with the talent so in traditional filmmaking you've got a storyboard where you just sketch out like a like a comic book on the scenes, what's mm. going on, but in a VR space, if you, you you're working with a 360 realm, so you're not working with a square, so you can you can lead lead the viewer to the next scene really easily. You just click over to the next scene, but in VR, you they could be looking the other way. 
and they could miss the the, the main story point. point. Yeah. yeah. So you know, there's a lot of work in working on like a circular storyboard. So you have like an inner ring, and then you you put like the focal point, and then the the rear focal point, and then and you build that ring up. So the storyboard becomes like a, a body of rings that grow outwards, and you have the focal point like an action. So like you have it could have a car drive past which catches their view, okay. which then leads into where they could be looking the next time. So you're kind of like trying to uh, encourage them to look in a certain direction yep. to get mm. into the next scene. VR audio is becoming a huge part of that as well, mm. where uh, different audio engines need to be able to simulate uh, sound coming from behind you so that can make you turn around and such. So there's, there's a lot of research going into like head-related transfer function in audio at the moment as well, which is having a huge effect on VR. Mm. And I imagine that's that's changing how people take advantage of the technology very quickly because obviously the way that... Well, the technology itself is still very, very new. I feel like it's only been maybe like five or so years since this technology is really well, Yeah, I mean, like it's 30, 35 years, 40 years has been around like oh, back but, in the day. Yeah, but, yeah. but since it's really like picked up more Commercially accessible, yes. yeah. Yeah. With the future of VR filmmaking, do you think that there is a big future like that it may one day rival the tradi- traditional cinema experience? Personally, definitely, yes. And and it's not like clearly not going to have these huge clunky headsets in a few years, mm. and they get they get more powerful and smaller all the time. You know, like the I'm sure your your listeners know about the uh, the Oculus, the Vive, yes, and the Vive Pro, which has only come out recently, mm-hmm. and the resolution is noticeably better mm. and it makes the experience noticeably better you know we're, we're on a clear pathway of getting to a point where you know maybe one day we'll, we'll, we'll reach simulated reality where you can't tell the difference mm. Mm. as well as the technology too the, the you know the consumer is seeking more and more intense emotional experiences and something that vr opens is that it, the art is no longer expressing emotions or expecting viewers to have an emotion but it's eliciting them and it's actually pulling these emotions these experiences out of the viewer and once you try it once you you want to go back forever it's impossible to stay away <laughs> yeah yeah the, that's the one, my experience just getting hooked on it the thing that vr brings to any creative work is the feeling of presence mm. like you actually believe that you're in the space and um you can really you can get very invested in it i was playing a uh, resident evil on vr which is a horror game and um, it's terrifying. Like it was mo- more scary than anything I've ever experienced. Mm. Uh, it's really engineered to scare you. Do you think that horror films would benefit from being in VR? And like, and uh, do you think they could become maybe too intense? They're too intense. <laughs> I think that's the thing. And it, and it, and it, like they, they're trying to elicit that 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 shock, you know, right? But I think what you know, it, it does, that's a short term kind of outcome where I think. The real art would be in subtle fear, like embedding fear deep inside you, not by like a zombie rushing at you, mm-hmm. but like Lars von Trier level deep fear, you know, a feeling of unease and mm. it's subtle. It's like something's just a bit off, you know, and mm. I think people are going to start to explore that soon. Can you run us through some of the um, the highlights of this year's VR Film Festival? Yeah, sure. Um, so a, the film program has nine nine films in it. Um, you know, you buy a ticket, you can see all of these nine films, one after the other. We have uh, a workshop as well. Um, this is by Michelle Brown. She's a VR artist mm. using a system called Tilt Brush. Um, so that was developed by Google originally uh, and allows you to paint in a 3D space. And you can move around your artwork and modify it. It's quite, quite immersive. Um, 
The opening night is on Tuesday, and that includes a keynote presentation by Sutu. So Sutu is quite an internationally well-known um, VR artist from Western Australia. So he's actually worked on two of the films in the program. Um, one is Inside Manus, which is a documentary about the experiences that um, refugees have had on Manus Island. Um, so it's quite a quite an amazing piece. Mm. Um, he also worked on A Thin Black Line, which is a, a work, um, you know, based on the artwork of Vernon Arkey, an Indigenous artist, um, which is quite a, quite a strong piece as well. Mm. Um, but everything is, you know, we, we try to get a spread of of genres and concepts. Um, I think probably my favourite is In Memory, and that's a, that's a story about um, a person that went off to war and it's them exploring the memories of their partner that they never found again. Mm. Mm. It's a really strong animated piece. Oh, okay. Yeah. And is that like a, a 2D animated piece or is it a 3D one that you can kind of explore by moving your head around? It's it's a standard one. It's a standing one. So you walk around the space and you can... There'll be a big thing. I won't give it too much away in the mm-hmm. middle of the room and then you can walk around and look at it from different angles and look up close. So yeah, it's very very immersive. Yeah, that one allows you to explore the storyline, and so mm. you you won't pick up on it unless you actually inquisitively move through the space. Wow! And look look for the you know the narrative. Yeah, that really is it's interesting, and it presents a very interesting challenge to filmmakers, I imagine. Um, you know, as this technology becomes mm. more and more um, widespread, and as they explore the creative possibilities, uh, really looking forward to seeing where it goes. Um, so the Australian Virtual Reality Film Festival is running from the 21st to the 26th of August. Where can we get tickets or get more information online? Um, two places. The Powerhouse website um, has some info and ticketing through there. And also the website avrff.com has info on all the films. Very cool. Uh, Lincoln Savage and Finn Wegner, thank you very much for joining us in the program this evening. It was very, very interesting hearing from you and looking forward to the festival. No worries. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. You're listening to Z Games, and um, if you've just tuned in, you missed a pretty neat interview um, with the folks organising the Australian Virtual Reality Film Festival. Uh, if you want to go to that one, but you don't want to pay for tickets, I mean, it's, it's worth paying for tickets, but if you want to go to that one, we do have a double, double pass, pass to give away for that one. If you want to head to the AVRFF, Give us a text, 0420-626-733, with first and last name and why you'd want to go. And Um, sub number. And sub number. You've got to be a subscriber. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, So definitely do that. But right now, Ray, let's talk some gaming news headlines, because we usually start the show with that. Yeah. Uh, Gaming news headlines. First up, actor Ben Schwartz, best known as Jean-Ralphio on the TV show Parks and Recreation, has been cast as Sonic the Hedgehog in the new upcoming feature film adaptation. The film is scheduled for release in late 2019 and will feature a blend of live action and computer animation. Actors James Marsden, aka X-Men Cyclops, and Jim Carrey are also attached. I'm so concerned about this film already. Concerned? Like, I hear blend of live action and computer animation, and I'm just... I mean, there's no easy way to do, mm-hmm. I feel like, a Sonic film outside of entirely animation. Yeah. Um, like... I'm curious. Have you ever seen the film Who Shot... No, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. It's a classic. Yes, but that was very tongue-in-cheek, I feel. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like... A... Is Sonic the Hedgehog going to be tongue-in-cheek? No, I'm not... I mean, <laughs> Who Framed Roger Rabbit is a masterpiece. Like, it's, it's yes. a cinema classic. Sonic the Hedgehog, I don't will think... Not be... <laughs> will go down uh, in history as one of cinema's greats. But, um, yeah, look, Ben Schwartz, John Ralphio. I mean, he's, he's hilarious. And Jim Carrey as Dr. Robotnik. Um, I'm looking forward to it. And the, the thing with the blend of action and live action and uh, CG, I think, means that they're going to be, you know, taking it maybe a bit, like, less seriously. It's going to be a bit silly. That's the, I think that's the best way to kind of run yeah. with it, right? Like, if you're going to do something like that, it's going to be goofy by default. Mm-hmm. So just kind of lean into it. If, it. if it tries to be, like, an edgy, like, a Sonic Forces or, like, um, Sonic 06, yeah. timeless... Um, I really don't that... think so because with the the people that they've got attached here, you know, Jean Ralphio and Jim Carrey, I'm pretty sure it's going to go for it a, should be, a yeah. lighthearted sort of atmosphere. Uh, next up, popular voice chat application Discord will begin selling games. Publishers THQ and Deep Silver are the first to begin in a partnership with the company. A storefront will sell games and a games as service subscription will also be available. Game. So by a games as service subscription that would be like a game pa- like an Xbox Game Pass kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, like you pay five dollars a month and you get access to a library of games for the duration of your subscription. Hmm. Um yeah, that's interesting. It seems like a lot more companies are like leaning into stores. It. Yeah. Now. It's uh, and a lot of sort of games peripheral or peripherally related to games companies like Razer who've opened their own game store. When did that um, happen? Uh, a few weeks slash months ago. I don't know, earlier this year. Goodness. Um, which is good because Steam is the premier PC storefront. Mm. And, you know, it is convenient having all of those games there. But it's not healthy for the industry to have Steam take a 30% cut out of every single game purchase made on the internet. And they really do have a stranglehold or a monopoly over the industry right now. So... While it is like less convenient to have a lot of stores, um, you know, diversity commercially is is definitely good for the industry. I think that there's always a, a lot of concern around like Steam having that monopoly, but I think the biggest thing that Steam does is that it makes it convenient for consumers, and it it does something to reassure developers that because it's convenient that people won't by default pirate. Because I feel like before Steam, yeah. that's what a lot of PC users had. Mm. Now, like the alternatives to Steam. Like, the Razer store you were talking about, they just provide Steam keys to go into Steam, so it's not mm-hmm. really, like, a like an alternative service. True. Um, it, like, if you look at stuff like um, Origin is obviously EA only, Uplay is obviously uh, Ubisoft only, but then stuff like game, uh, Good Old Games and um, Humble, a lot of that is DRM-free stuff, which doesn't... It, it's convenient for consumers, particularly with the Humble subscription, but it, I don't think that it really puts developers at ease that people won't just copy the files and just like give a usb to their mate like it it's back to the the old kind of like it's easier to pirate than it is mm. to go legitimate because if the drm copies right there it's i don't know it, it's i'm not by any means trying to defend steam because i have a lot of frustrations about it but um yeah mm. okay interesting take there jack look it's a hot take i'm i'm <laughs> interested to see how discord does this uh, moving over to the u.s now the fbi has filed charges against a 25 year old man for breaching EA servers and stealing over 400,000 Australian dollars worth of digital items and selling them on the black market. It's alleged that Martin Marish, an Italian and Serbian dual citizen, used an exploit to gain access to the back-end servers of FIFA 18, where he distributed 
copies of the game and digital currency for profit. If convicted, he faces five years in prison and a U.S. $250,000 fine. Rough. That's a whole bunch of uh, FIFA money right there. I don't play <laughs> FIFA, so I don't know what the in-game currency is, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't either. How does, mm. I, I'm, I'm still like a little bit yeah, about sports games in general because mm. I just can't. It's crazy that um, that he did this. I mean, this is like five years in a federal in a U.S. federal prison. And like, and how a do you, quarter of a million? That's so yeah. much money. Like, how do you get from I want to play soccer with my video game to you know being in the slam of five years? Um, I mean, in <laughs> fairness, he hacked EA's servers. Yeah, like that. I feel like that is not only going against like an end user license agreement, but it's also. Um, like a like a legitimate privacy concern mm-hmm. for a lot of what yeah it's 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 a mess oh goodness um a few other events coming up not too far off uh pax australia is taking over federation square um if you are looking forward to pax oz um and you are you just happen to be in melbourne or maybe you're in brisbane or i don't know maybe you listen to this through uh the fortable z website um PAX is going to be at Federation Square August 31st and September 1st, which also happens to be the weekend that VidCon Australia and the Melbourne Esports Open is on. Why do they need to have so many events on one weekend? Wow. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on that weekend. So just to cl- clarify, that's the end of October to the start of November? No, no, no. So August 31st to the 1st of September. So that's actually a few weeks away what? from when we're recording this. And um, that's the, it's basically just like a, a sneak preview of like some... Oh. Um, like. Develop, like, like re- indie games that are going to be there. There's going to be retro machines, console free play, tabletop games. There's going to be giveaways and comps. Um, like you can find all of that through the Facebook page for um, packs at Federation Square. But two Melbourne Games Week, uh, Melbourne International Games Week as well. The uh, Melbourne Queer Games Festival is happening earlier in the week, so like just before packs proper in late October, um, and it's being coordinated by a uh, developer of Escape from Pleasure Planet, uh, Luke Miller. And um, I'm really interested to see how this goes, because I feel like the Queer Games event space hasn't really existed since, like, GX Australia. And we've, we've spoken about GX before, um, where it, when it was being held in Sydney um, in 2017, 2016. Mm-hmm. That has since ended, uh, which, which was very, very unfortunate. But... Um, the the Queer Games Festival is going to be a very relaxed, lo-fi event, um, which will be really interesting. I'm I'm keen to see what that'll be. Maybe we'll speak to Luke at some point as well. But very cool, yeah. And closer to home for our Brisbane listeners, this weekend, uh, Saturday the 18th of August, the Powerhouse will host Geo Four Two Three Game On 2018. Mm. It's a independent games showcase. It's yes. been running for the last few years. Uh, so you will go there and you'll see heaps of different independently made games, not just video games, but card games as well and virtual reality experiences. There will also be a workshop, a card game design workshop with uh, Martin Wallace running from 2 to 4 p.m. There will be stuff happening on the stage. There will be panels in the afternoon and evening, including one with some of Brisbane's greatest uh, game developers. Uh, Lee of Z Games fame will be hosting and paneling that one. But throughout the day, from uh, 10 till 5, we'll also be doing um, 
game dev hot seat. Yes. So all of the developers of the games will be joining a couple of members of the Z Games crew on stage, yep. and we'll be grilling them about their games. We'll be having and their a casual chat with casual them. chat slash grilling slash interrogation. <laughs> uh, you know, you never know where it's going to go. It with is the a Z hot Games seat. crew. We are legitimate journalists after all. <sighs> Um, but yeah, they'll be up there sharing their uh, their dreams and aspirations and telling us all about the games that are on display. Uh, so make sure you check that out. It's free this weekend at the Brisbane Powerhouse, Saturday the 18th of August. So go to New Farm Markets, look at all those dogs. Man, there's always so many dogs there. Get a coffee and then head on in and play some games, talk mm. to some devs, have a good time. Very cool. Uh, now, it's one of my favorite segments coming up now. Oh, no. And that is what you've been playing what we've been playing, yes. depending on who's asking the question. Yes. Uh, I love this segment because it means that we're totally out of content and we're just sort of picking up... <laughs> you know not meant to promise. admit that. You're not meant to say we ran um, out of content. I'm all about transparency here on Z Games. We'll throw ourselves under the bus on your behalf. That's Journal- how you know how transparent we are. Journalistic integrity, journalistic legitimacy, <laughs> and yeah, f- just being full-on open about this, the process of making this show. True. Okay. So what I've been playing... Donkey Kong Country, originally released in 1990-something, 1992, for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Wow. Uh, I've been (laughs) playing... Uh, the SNES Mini Classic thing, oh, you know that thing that's on sale for... Oh! Yeah. So, sorry, you've been playing the SNES Mini version, not, like, Donkey Kong Country Returns on Switch? Nah! Are you been playing the original one? Yeah! Oh, man. I haven't really played much of it. Yeah, uh, I've played bits and pieces back in the day, but this is actually the first time I've actually really dived into the mm. game. Uh, I'm playing with my with my housemate, and we we've really we've got a pact. We're going to beat this game, <laughs> and it's not easy, man. Uh, so you are, you know, Donkey Kong, and you've got Diddy Kong as well, and yes. he's a little brother or something. And he hangs out. He's fun. King Cruel has done something bad, and you've got to basically go across the the Banana Kingdom to, yes. to beat him. I don't know. Um, it's one. It's, of, it's got a story, I guess. It, it's it's rare's probably their magnum opus, the the video game developer, rare who are also responsible for like Banjo Kazooie, like Banjo Kazooie, Killer Instinct, mm. and GoldenEye sixty four. Now that I think of it, maybe GoldenEye. Is maybe the GoldenEye is. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say sixty four. Yeah, <laughs> but Donkey Kong Country isn't far behind. It's just a masterpiece of game design. Like it's brutal. It's unforgiving. You you miss. You miss time of jump and you're dead and you're back to the to the checkpoint. But boy, it's just it's addictive, you know. I feel like going back to those games, if it was done as well as Donkey Kong was, it feels really, really good to go back to still. Like going back to older games can feel pretty janky sometimes. Mm. Like particularly like three D games, you can be like, Oh, inverted controls, this yeah. is a nightmare. But like because that 2D style is, like, they really perfected it, I feel like, with Super Nintendo before mm. they moved on to 1064. I feel like it, it it still feels pretty good to play. Absolutely. Well, Donkey Kong Country is interesting because it's actually... It's a 2D game, but mm. it uses... A like 3D assets. 3D sprites. Yes. So they were sort of computer-generated in 3D, but then turned into 2D sprites, mm. and it plays much the same as a a 2D Mario game, Mm. uh, which was kind of revolutionary at the time. I mean, you hadn't really seen much like it when it came out. Um, Mortal Kombat, the original game, used Mm. a similar kind of technology there. Yeah. But, yeah, it was really a game changer. It just looked much better than any other Super Nintendo game before it, including classics like Super Mario World, which, uh, you know, speaking of comparing Donkey Kong to Mario... Mm. 
um, I think Donkey Kong Country sort of beats Super Mario Brothers one, two, and three as far as like the sheer quality of the game. Maybe not Super Mario World. Yeah, Super Mario World's hard to beat. I was going to yeah, say, yeah, just coming up, just coming at it from a, a modern perspective, you know, with a lot of. It's a, I feel like it's a lot easier to revisit, like, Donkey Kong Country or Super Mario World compared to, like, the NES minis. Yeah. Like, that's a lot harder to try and pull yourself all the way back to. Absolutely. There aren't many games from the early to mid-90s that still hold up today. Mm. Donkey Kong Country is absolutely one of them. Mm. Um, so, if you have the chance, definitely check it out. Donkey Kong has spawned a whole bunch of sequels, yes. though. Yes. Uh, what's the most recent game? Donkey Jack? Kong Country... Returns Tropical Freeze yeah. on Switch. I haven't so. played that one. Is it good? Uh, it's yeah. It's, I played through it. I really enjoyed it. It was good. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really the first Donkey Kong game that I sunk my teeth into because I was not. I did not exist when Donkey Kong Country oh, released. Really? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think that if you want to revisit a Donkey Kong game or, or jump into the series, um, but maybe you are a little bit. Um, fresh to the series mm. hit up the switch version definitely yeah or the 3ds version as well because it's on 3ds if you want to get on it you know this segment was what we've been playing referring to you and i jack but yes. i think we're about out of time yeah you. so you don't i don't get to talk about the. No. i've been playing two games one of them is called moonlighter it's a pixel art dungeon crawling sh- merchant simulating game it's cute it's on pc i think I'm enjoying it. And the music's really, really nice. We heard from it earlier in the show. And Monster Prom is a dating sim visual novel where you get to hang out at school and date cuties. Monster Prom. Monster Prom. You got my interest. I wish we didn't have one more minute in the show left because I would get you to talk about that some more. I think that it's a really, really fun game. Um, I love just chasing cuties around and just being like, no, you have to just appreciate me. Give me attention. In the dating sim way, not the weird way. When you say cuties... What, they're like they're, characters like the okay. characters in the game the monsters yes okay I have a All bit right. of okay, don't, don't paint me into a corner like that okay that's the end of the show I give up um, we will be back same time next week yeah. believe it or not uh, and like Ray said earlier if you're not up to much this weekend head on down to the powerhouse on Saturday morning um, or all of Saturday actually mm-hmm. uh, we'll be there talking to devs playing games having a good time so you should definitely do that too we'll see you real soon